Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canadian politicians react to a report that the U.S. Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade. It looks like it will be overturned, and that's something deeply concerning. Um, we know that when abortion rights are denied or when abortion services are denied, the result is women die. Conservative MPs and senators are told not to comment. They are dealing with a uh, you know, many different factions within their party, including social conservatives, and it means that they have um, a more tricky line that they walk on abortion. They say they would not introduce any legislation restricting abortion if they form government, but they also allow free votes on it. And we know that interim leader Candace Bergen has previously described herself as pro-life. And the Ontario election campaign officially begins. Doors open at 6 p.m. And the rally starts at 7. Can't wait to get out of the bubble, as I say, and get out there and, and meet the real people of this province. It's Wednesday, May the 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So around the world and in here in Canada, there was a lot of reaction yesterday to the news that broke uh, late on Monday night that... Uh, that Roe v. Wade is about to be overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, according to these leaked documents that were obtained by the media. Um, and there were a lot of Canadian politicians who volunteered to comment on it. There were some who were asked about it and, and forced to answer. There were some who were told not to say anything about it. Uh, it's it's had its implications already in the conservative leadership race. So there's a lot of fallout from this. So let's start with... Uh, the the reaction to it from Canadian politicians and and what you saw there uh, because uh, immediately it has become an issue in Canada and this is an issue that comes up from time to time in this country the abortion issue uh, but here we are again it's one of those issues Mark that never truly goes away I mean it bubbles along just beneath the surface. Um, you know, in Canada, we are ruled by, abs you know, actually the absence of a law. They, you know, after the uh, uh, decisions back in the 80s, the Morgenthaler case that uh, eventually struck down the anti-abortion law, but nothing ever really has been devised uh, to uh, replace it. So, you know, you have a patchwork of service available to Canadian women uh, across the country. Um, you know, it's quite readily available in most big cities, uh, but uh, if you're a small-town person, especially in some provinces uh, down east here, we have a couple examples in New Brunswick and PEI where it's very, very difficult to obtain an abortion uh, unless you're willing to travel and, uh, and to go through a lot of hoops. So, um, you know, but what this decision in the states and the political fallout that's arising from uh, the leak of that uh, Supreme Court of the United States decision, or draft decision, I should say, is that, um, you know, it's just revived the debate and it's brought it back into the political arena here in Canada. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about this is there there are often times when, when, uh, when pro-choice advocates will say, we need to be vigilant, we need to make sure the clock is not rolled back. Um, and there are others who, who presume, perhaps, that that once certain rights are obtained, that that the that they they can't be taken away again, and I think this is sort of reminded everybody that the pendulum can swing back and forth, and no matter where you stand on this issue, 
there is there is the chance that even if you get the ruling you want, that the ruling can later be overturned. Yeah, and you know, I think the I, the latest number, and there, I don't see a whole bunch of totally up to date polling. I'm sure we will within the next day or so. But uh, the last I saw, pro- pretty much seven out of ten Canadians, more than that, support uh, a woman's right to choose as it uh, pertains to abortion. Um, that's a heavy number for any political party. And really, it only is a problem in terms of politics for the Conservatives. Uh, we saw how Andrew Scheer got tripped up in that. Um, you know, Stephen Harper maintained his leadership for many years, saying we're just not going to talk about it because he saw the danger to his party because there are thousands and thousands of conservatives or people who vote for the conservatives who do want abortion to be banned or severely restricted. And that is a sort of bubbling uh, section of that party that's always not far from the surface. And Leslie Lewis, who is, you know, I think it's fair to say one of the leading candidates for the conservative leadership is an avowed anti-abortion advocate. So um, and she has a lot of people who agree with her, and that's the basis, uh, part of the basis of her support within the Conservative Party. You know, the Liberals and the NDP, they've moved on from this a long time ago, along with most of the Canadian population. But it, it really does uh, create an interesting dynamic, um, you know, within the Conservatives and, and how they relate to the rest of the uh, electorate. Yeah, and let's drill a little deeper into that because uh, there was a report that the that conservative MPs and senators were told not to talk about the ruling and the uh, the draft decision from the U.S. Supreme Court that was leaked. Um, and of course, uh, this issue—I think we knew it was already going to be part of the conservative leadership race, but that this this news uh, is going to make it even more so. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think it, it was a perfect demonstration of the sort of interim lame duck nature of the current uh, conservative uh, acting leader, uh, Candace Bergen, in that, uh, you know, she and the party put out an order, everyone shut up about it. Well, within minutes, the conservative leadership candidates were out issuing tweets or videos or making statements or, you know, they totally ignored that ruling or that that uh, order from Party HQ. And, I mean, they've got bigger fish to fry. There's a leadership campaign going on. They can't be standing on the sidelines shrugging their shoulders as if they had no idea what the issue was all about, when, in fact, uh, members of their party want clarity on this. And it is a, an internal party election. Um, so it's not 70% of the population as it is within the overall Canadian uh, electorate. Um, it's a way different dynamic within the Conservative Party, and I think every leadership um, candidate has to make their position known within the party, and they can't be, you know, putting their head in the sand. I mean, it was a mystifying order from the Conservatives, but I think it, it points to the uh, delicacy of the situation from them from a political point of view. Yeah. All right, Dan, let's turn away from that and uh, talk about the fact that there's an election underway in Ontario now. Uh, The election will be on June the 2nd. Uh, Doug Ford, the Ontario Premier, the progressive conservative leader, is running for a second term. Um, And uh, there, you know, there's kind of an interesting dynamic in Canadian politics. It always ends up, it seems, except for a few 
uh, cases, a few exceptions over the years, that when there's a liberal government in Ottawa, there's a conservative government in Toronto at, at Queen's Park in Ontario, and vice versa. When the when the Tories are in power federally, then the liberals tend to be, or sometimes the NDP, in power in uh, Ontario. So um, that dynamic suggests Doug Ford could uh, uh, it could work in Doug Ford's favor. So uh, what are your thoughts on this provincial election in Ontario, and also what it means for federal politics? Well, as a, as a person living in the Maritimes, I maintain a perfectly impartial point of view on what goes on in Ontario politics. I, I can't see, you know, the Conservatives being ousted in this election. And it is interesting that, uh, you know, there have been strange bedfellows, especially in the fallout from the pandemic, in that Doug Ford and, and Justin Trudeau have found common cause on, on things like economic development and, and you know, handing out money to people in various writings. Um, you know, the the liberal support in the 905 belt and in the Toronto area um, is kind of a mirror image in some ways of the conservative support provincially in the, in those areas, the PC support uh, provincially. Um, and they are contesting for that vast number of votes in the, those same regions. So, um, you know, Ford uh, has adeptly, I think, um, uh, managed to stay on the good side of the federal liberals. He, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, contrast his points of view and his statements on the federal government with what you hear from on uh, from Alberta or Saskatchewan. The sort of constant drumbeat of anti-federal, anti-Trudeau uh, statements. Um, Ford is more willing to play ball because his electorate is more willing to play ball with federal Ottawa. So um, you know he he's got a fr- pretty strong lead. I don't. I mean, believe me, outside of Ontario, the you know Andrea Horvath is in her fourth election. Most people in Canada couldn't even name her outside of Ontario, maybe inside of Ontario too. Uh, Del Duca is an unknown outside of Ontario, perhaps better known inside. But I don't know that there's anything there yet which has rung the bell of opposition in order to get people up and, and overturn the, uh, the current PC government in Ontario, because it is walking that narrow line. I mean, Doug Ford says all kinds of populistic uh, things that just sort of go off into the media ether and are forgotten about. And, uh, you know, he has one of he leads one of those charmed lives. He's a, he's a bit of a Teflon politician who can say really stupid and idiotic things and, and no one really blames him for it. So, uh, it's a good place to be if you're Doug Ford. Hmm. All right. We'll see what happens in uh, about four weeks in the Ontario election. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. This is a right that women depend on for autonomy in so many ways. And so um, I'm proud to be part of a government that understands that and will continue to work to strengthen women's rights in this country. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today in the Toronto Star. Susan Delacourt argues, Donald Trump's legacy has put abortion back on Canada's political agenda. Delacourt writes, There's a good reason for Canadians to feel nervous about what's going on in the United States. It's part of the ongoing shock to that system from defeated President Donald Trump. It's thanks to his judicial appointments that the Supreme Court seems poised to roll back rights that U.S. women have had for almost 50 years. The reason this leak from the U.S. Supreme Court rattled all the way across the Canadian border 
is because there's just been a little too much Trump-inspired disruption coursing through Canadian politics recently. At globalnews.ca, David Aiken argues the Ontario election is one that all of Canada should watch. Aiken writes, The Ontario election comes at a time when the choices the three major provincial parties make in the next few weeks could influence the direction of their federal cousins. Ontario's political geography is almost certain to shift from 2018, the election in which the Liberals suffered one of the greatest defeats in all of Canada's electoral history. And as Ontario's political geography shifts, that can impact Canada's political geography. In the National Post, Chris Selly argues, Doug Ford begins the Ontario election as a changed man. Selly writes, Conservatives who suffered through Doug Ford's tumultuous first year as Premier might be more surprised than anyone to see him where he is. Chaos had been Ford's brand at Toronto City Hall, and at first it seemed he had imported that to Queen's Park. But sanity arrived fairly quickly, and the pandemic finally got Ford some good press. It has been an interesting four years in Ontario, and not often in a good way. But much as Liberals and New Democrats might wish otherwise, it seems that few Ontarians are putting that at Doug Ford's feet. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the Liberal caucus meeting and question period. He and Mental Health Minister Carolyn Bennett will also meet with women's health care professionals and advocates to highlight World Maternal Mental Health Day and Mental Health Week. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie will hold an armchair discussion and press conference in Ottawa with her Swedish counterpart. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak with the media in Ottawa. The Senate Subcommittee on Veterans Affairs will hear from Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley as part of the subcommittee's study on issues relating to Veterans Affairs. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair will make a funding announcement to support both capacity building and domestic deployment to four Canadian emergency management NGOs. And Governor General Mary Simon will make an official visit to Quebec, where she will meet with the Lieutenant Governor of the province, Indigenous leaders, the President of the National Assembly, the Leader of the Official Opposition, and Premier François Legault. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, May 4th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.